Welcome to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. I'm Michael Hyatt, and in each episode, we'll talk to local entrepreneurs, hear their stories, learn from their setbacks, and pick up some new insights along the way. This week, we're talking the business recovery with Swish Goswami. Hey, Michael. Hey, Nisha. So who do we have on today's show? So this is an interesting one. Remember when we first started working on this podcast, you mentioned that you didn't want to meet any of our guests? Oh, yeah. Well, funny story. Today, we have Swish Goswami on our first episode. He's a CEO and co-founder of a company called TrueFan. And I remember you told me that you, you met him, what, five years ago? Oh, yes, I did. And you fired him. <laughs> Yeah, I did. This is a really interesting one. So he's a very bright young man and he's got a great business and he's all about social media, which is huge right now for companies and getting to this whole digitization and the crisis we're in. So it's going to be a really interesting conversation with Swish. Awesome. I'll bring him on. So Swish, welcome aboard. <laughs> funny to see you here i'm literally so nervous i was telling them like every time i have a conversation with you i come out having so many ideas and i just want to write them down so i have good, my note kind of, thing it's a great thing it's a great thing you definitely make me think <laughs> i told them to give me people i've never spoken to before and then the you know one of the first people to give me is you <laughs> so why don't you tell everybody what true fan is and what you do sure so TrueFan is a social intelligence platform that helps brands make smarter marketing decisions using data. So we directly go in and we help you connect your Instagram or Twitter account. You can see your entire following and you're able to filter that following into people that you genuinely care about, whether those are micro-influencers, your top fans, your competitors' top fans. We have the largest database of social profiles and audience reports in the world. Uh, I ran the company for about two and a half years now. My co-founder and I live together in Toronto, but we originally started the company in Vancouver for eight months. And so who would a typical client be for you? Typical client now actually would be a direct-to-consumer and e-commerce company that's looking to double down on social media, looking to run targeted advertising, engage with their top fans, and directly run influencer marketing campaigns using our data. But in the past, we've explored with... Um, CPG brands using the product, a lot of sports teams and athletes using the product, influencers using the product. So we have over 368 customers starting, you know, at the start of the month, we'll probably be at over 500 by the end of June. Um, and it's quite a diverse mix. Yeah, it's really starting to take off for you. But I was thinking when they told me I was going to be speaking to you, I was thinking of the first time we met. So let's go back memory lane for a second and <laughs> tell everybody about the first time we met, because it's kind of it's a little bit funny. It is. I so I was in second year of university at the University of Toronto, and I'd heard about Michael, and I think I messaged you on Facebook first. No reply. Mm -hmm. I was like, are you on? He's busy. It's all good. <laughs> I just don't look at Facebook that much. That's fair. And then I, I think I sent you another message uh, about two or three weeks later on LinkedIn, and you got back to me there. I said, I'd love to interview you. And normally when you interview someone, I'd do it over the phone, or I'd go and meet them at a house or some place but no you were like let's go for a walk and and I was just distraught because I hate walking in general but now you're making me do exercise and ask questions but I came out for a walk we met at Jack Astor's we walked down and I apparently I had to walk my dog and do a few things <laughs> so I was trying to I was trying to multitask yep with a yep. student yeah so yep. what, what do you remember about that walk it was I still remember kind of the conversation right off the bat 
you, you didn't even waste time, right? Like you got right into it, right? You're like, so tell me how does it feel to be the most accomplished teen in the world? I remember that right <laughs> off the bat, right? And, and I'm like already in the defense of being like, oh my God. And then you start talking about, you know, values that you have. And I expect you fairly to be a little bougie because of the wealth that you've accumulated. But we walk into a secondhand game shop. You've known the owner for a couple of years. You're fighting for a discount, um, which I'm like, why are you fighting for a discount? <laughs> And, uh, and then we walked down and we're like, I'm going to get a gift as well. Potentially we go into a cashmere shop and I was like, whoa, this is the total polar opposite. Um, you don't buy anything, but just the lessons that I think you talked to me about in terms of not being an overnight success, being a 20 year overnight success, um, trying to stay lean, trying as much as possible to value your relationships over anything else. That really did speak to me, which is why I wanted to write the article right when I got back home. And I wrote it to like the most honest degree I could. It, it <laughs> yeah, you, you, I, I've never gone on a walk with someone and had them write an article and post it. Did yeah. you record the conversation or just had it in your head? I had I text I texted myself. So anytime I was on my phone, I was like I was texting myself. Oh, I thought that was just back. an addiction that oh. millennials have. <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah, right, right. So so listen, you you got TrueFan going after that, and um, things are really turning out well for you. But let's dial back to, you know, the difference between the first couple of months of 2020, and then suddenly March hits and everything gets stopped. Everything just freezes like a cliff and then COVID hits and it seems like business literally went off a cliff very, very, very uh, quickly. Um, Let's, let's dial your brain back to there. Like, what did you think when initially this happened to your business? And then what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. So when things really ramped up, I was actually in St. Louis with my co-founder. We were part of this accelerator called Stadia. We were five companies that got picked from around the world, and we got flown down to uh, St. Louis to go and pitch and to go through a bunch of workshops and meet a bunch of customers. And it was the second day off the event, and the MBA shuts down. Um, Trump decides to announce the the ban to Europe, um, and then Justin Trudeau's wife is suspected of having COVID. So I'm like, oh crap, what is happening? We decided to leave that night. We went back home, and I think on the flight home, I started thinking a little bit more of like, this whole situation is going to make us work from home now. This whole situation is going to be incredibly tough on our customer base, especially the enterprise customers where a lot of people who are a point of contact are either going to be laid off or teams are going to be restructured and budgets are going to be reallocated and we're going to need to figure things out. So, Because you, you're a young entrepreneur, you're a young CEO first time, you haven't seen a recession. I mean, yeah. the last recession was over a decade ago. You were in primary school, middle school, like it's so long ago. I was so 11. You, you've only seen a time when there was plenty of money lots of VC, everything was perfect. You start a company with a bunch of smart people and you go. Mm-hmm. So then you suddenly, I mean, this cliff was almost something I've never, I, I've never seen. I don't think anybody has, right? I mean, normally you walk into a recession and the last one in 08 was a banking crisis, but this was just a glacier, mm-hmm. you know, yep. instantaneously. So there. you tell, tell me, like, did you, did you think that your business was just going to stop? No, not really. I think the good thing is we've been cash flow positive since December of 2019. So right off the bat, we've stayed very lean and we've been making money. And I think this actually comes to a lesson you even taught me on making money from day one, right? And trying to look for ways not to to go about circumventing revenue. Obviously, growing is really important, 
but I know a lot of companies that are just burning through cash right now that are now trying to figure out what's the best way to make revenue so we can stay alive, keep our office space, keep employees. So we made a goal. Anik and I kind of made a pact in the first day. We're not going to fire a single employee. Um, and we're going to try to make that our goal. And if it means not us not taking a salary, which we did for the first few months, we'll do that um, to try to make sure that the employees, first and foremost, are going through a really, really good time and making sure that they're not uncomfortable. How did you stay cash flow positive through this? Yeah, so we started a whole new line of business. Initially, we were very enterprise focused, a lot of big labels, right? The Samsung, the Netflix, the Procter and Gamble's of the world that all came on board as customers. And we started looking at them and thinking, they're going to be great. Certain ones like the NBA are on a long term agreement, but a lot of them might churn because they just have their budgets being reallocated. Maybe they don't need our tool anymore. They're using some other tool. We saw a lot of small businesses, though, that were trying to come online. And we thought, what if we went after them? What if we helped them get online and engage their community online? So that's what we did. We rolled out affordable pricing plans, $24 a month to $199 a month. And that really like kickstarted our business. Like we brought on 103 transactional customers in April, 178 in May. Uh, off a whole new line of business entirely. So you step back, you changed your pricing, mm-hmm. you changed your marketing, you mm-hmm. changed who you went after. The most interesting thing you just said is you made a commitment to your people, right? I mean, it sounds like you did all the right things in pivoting your business, but it sounds like you got your people together early and said, okay, we're in a crisis, but we're not going to fire anybody. We're going to try to get in the boat together. Tell me about that conversation. What was that like? How did you get the people together? What did you say? That's a tough commitment. It's an easier commitment to make now that you're doing really well. But when you, at that time when it was really dark, how did you decide to do that? What was that conversation like? Take us to that room, that time. Yeah, so we we have employees that aren't you know super young as well. Uh, we have employees who are over thirty years old. They have a my fan. gosh, over thirty, right. <laughs> over thirty, applying for them. old age security. <laughs> I did not call them old. I would like to point point them for the record. Um, but we have people who are older than thirty, and they have families. And actually, one of our employees right. came to Canada five months ago, right, right. on a work. Visit. So you have situations like that where I'm looking out and I'm thinking. You know, I just want to make sure that as much as possible, given the fact they've committed their lives and a part of their life to our company, we're trying to do the same back to them during a really tough time. So the first thing right off the bat is Anik and I both, we live together and we're very open about our finances with each other. And we knew that us taking a salary during this time is not something we needed to do. And it's something we can sacrifice if need be. So we knew that we had that. We knew that we were cash flow positive for the time being. Obviously, we didn't know whether that would continue in, in April, May, June. But we were hopeful that with this new line of business, with a new rebrand, everything like that, it'll, it'll work out. But I think right off the bat, once we started to say, hey, we're not going to fire employees anymore, we had to take a look at our budget and pretty much scrutinize every small item on it, right? Like, right. do we need that? Like, think very carefully on what we need and what we don't need for the next eight months, the next 10 months, you know? And I think- What was the we- reaction from your people, though? What was, what was their reaction? Were they surprised? Did they expect to get laid off, like a lot of Canadians or- yeah, I, I, I think genuinely speaking, they saw it as an opportunity because that's how we framed it, right? We framed it as, by the way, our vision for like, and this is a vision that we, we've had for about a year and a half now is to democratize social media data and allow smaller brands to have access to the type of data that a big brand would have. But we never, we never pushed towards that direction because we were always waiting for a milestone to get there, right? This was a plan that we had for 2021 or 2022. Um, and when we told them that, hey, guys, we're going to go after this now. 
the timing is great because a bunch of small businesses are looking to get online or they're looking to double down. People can't do experiential events anymore. They need to activate their fan base online. They were excited by that. So I did have a few personal conversations. We do like a paranoia session every three weeks where we put our vulnerabilities forward as a team and share them. And people were genuinely afraid, but I think they were also more afraid for take, their- take, take, take me into that. Take, take us into that room. Take us into that vulnerabilities. Like, how does that work? Like, tell me exactly what happens. Yeah, so we go around. Um, it doesn't matter if you're an intern at the company or you know a C-suite um, member. You're you're gonna go through and you're gonna share one thing that bothered you about the week, personally or professionally, and then one thing you're looking forward to, right? So one of the things wow. I remember early on that I talked about that bothered me um, was the fact that our team for the longest time was complacent. We were always we were always happy with these big name logos coming in, but we weren't looking at anything beyond. Um, and then once March came around. I started to complain about the fact that I thought we were moving a little too quickly. <laughs> and I thought that we weren't handling our processes really well and building out the right processes to support growth. Um, so it was cool to see stuff like that. But again, some of the conversations that happened in that room, obviously, I'm not going to go in depth or, or name anyone, but they're, they're about stories related to relatives going through medical operations or family members that have lost their job because of COVID. And you start hearing kind of these real-time stories and start empathizing with your employees a lot more when you hear the stories that they have not only within their own life, but within their extended family. Have you found that this has created this uh, much deeper bond with you and your staff? 100%. You kind of treat them as family, honestly. And that's why it's so hard to get rid of them too, right? Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind it's of true. a double-edged sword there, but right. it's it's a great feeling when you know that you are supported very well, not only personally now, but professionally. When I get on a Zoom call, you know, I have 18 other people now that are, they have my back and they, they like what I do and they like me as a person, not just as a Did you as feel strange as the founder telling them something personally about how you're feeling? Did you, did you do anything personal or was it just about clients? Initially. And by the way, it, it didn't, right? It wasn't like the first paranoia session. I like let out all my secrets, right? It's more of a mm -hmm. gradual process, mm -hmm. but I definitely knew that I had to take that step, right? I knew that I was the first one that had to bring up my vulnerabilities, right? And I know that Smart. one thing I do is I talk about my weaknesses sometimes too, right? I talk about things that I'm trying to work at so that it encourages other employees to think that, all right, if he's mentioning his weaknesses and he's totally open about them, maybe I can be as well. And it takes time, but I think you're able to get over that bridge over time. Can you give us an example? of a weakness, I have multiple. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, and you know, one of my weaknesses is discipline, right? You know, we've had <laughs> situations where you've talked to me very clearly about discipline and <laughs> showing up on time, valuing people's time, um, making sure as much as possible that you're following up with people, especially after they make an introduction. So, right? so let's talk about that time in our relationship, because when they told me you were coming on, I laughed and I actually told the producers, I said, you know, I kind of fired Swish. <laughs> you did. And I think I'm the first person to ever fire you. 100%. And somehow, you sneaky person, you work your way back into my life and I kind of really like you again. I always really liked you. Mm -hmm. But tell, let's talk about this. Let's, let's have our therapy session. What, what actually happened? And, and let's go through that. Like, you yeah. tell me what happened. So, there were a number of instances where I needed your advice. And uh, in the past, you always used to put everything aside, right? You used to put everything aside, say, come to my office, or let's get on a phone call, come to my house, whatever it is. And you'd give me 15, 20, 30, an hour even. Um, and so that also was something that I think over time I took for granted last year. Um, and I think by the end of last year, when I scheduled something with you, it wasn't like I circled it, made sure I went to bed on time, made sure that I, I got to that meeting on time, prepared for that meeting even. Or just didn't show up? 
right? And that's what happened. Like, I think once I canceled on you, the second time I'd moved the call, and then the third time I didn't even show up, right? So, you know, and this was also a rough period in my life. But again, you can't make excuses like that to someone like you, especially who you've gone through your fair share of trials and tribulations and you've worked your way through and, and figured out how to keep relationships alive. And at the, at the same time, that was the first piece of advice you ever gave me was how important that was. So relationships, I mean, yeah, relationships, it's right? all so relationships. Yeah. The, the reason I fought, I think so hard to make sure that I was still in front of you and like I could potentially redeem myself, which it's still a work in progress. It's no, by no means am I a hundred percent reformed, but um, I'm trying to make like purposeful attempts at being better at this. Um, was because I just value your opinion more than ever. Like, like I just always yeah, think- Yeah, so I, 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 kind of, I kind of thought that I only, the, the most precious thing that I have in my life is time now. That, mm-hmm. That's the most precious thing I have. So I spend a tremendous amount of, you know, energy thinking about where I want to place my chips on the table. And I love working with smart, dynamic people like you. I, I find it invigorating. I think it's great. I learn a lot of stuff. Uh, but I, I place chips on the table and I figure when it was one morning in particular where you asked me, can I see you in the morning? And I changed my schedule and I got up early and I was there with my coffee and then you just mm-hmm. didn't show up. And then you called me at 2 PM, mm-hmm. which I just felt like a very jilted date, yep. you know, I, like, you know, like, like literally I'm at the restaurant and he yep. never shows up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so like, I was just like, I can't put any more time into this. But mm-hmm. somehow <laughs> you like you worked your way back into the relationship and now it's fine. But, you know, because I, I do really like you. But I mean, it's uh, what I was trying to create was a teachable moment to say, look, if this is anything for you, relationships matter. Relationships matter more than anything. Mm-hmm. Right. All, all we are is a sum of relationships. You know what I tell people? I tell people that you should build your network when you're employed. Not when you're unemployed. People then have a problem with unemployed and they go around trying to build their network. I mean, mm-hmm. you should just be always building your network. In fact, I think that people are as valuable as their network and the relationships they build. Okay. That's it. Cool. And I wanted to let you know that, look, my time is exceedingly valuable and so is yours. And I wouldn't leave you hanging. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we got past that, that rocky part in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you did something here. You, you, know, you responded specifically to the crisis we're in. Um, you rethought it and, and now you're kind of in this kind of recovery phase where you're thinking about, you're really launching. And, and I tell people, look, there's two things that are happening right now. Either you are kind of a, a COVID negative company or a COVID positive company, one that mm-hmm. could make the pivot and move on. And one that got frozen, like yep. plenty of companies got all their revenue stopped. Right. Mm-hmm. But you were able to rethink and respond to the moment and actually I, I believe almost every week or two, you actually show me how many more clients you're signing, and I'm super mm-hmm. impressed. So you have a demand for your product in a terrible market. Mm-hmm. So what specifically is that demand? Like, how are you accelerating so quickly in a time when, you know, some people can't get any revenue? Yeah. I mean, A, I think it's worth noting that it's entirely organic, right? We only started running paid advertising at the start of last week. Yeah, that's right. Um, so it's all organic. It's off, you know, websites and the amount of SEO work that we did in 2019 is somehow paying off now, which is lovely to see. Um, but we're getting about over 100,000 page views on one of our websites, over 30,000 on the other. And we're building the proper pipeline to be able to funnel them and capture that lead info whether or not you purchased or not, right? Whether but let's, you say I'm, let's not, say I'm listening. Captured. But let's say I'm listening to this podcast, and and I were to ask, say, okay, that's all fine, swish. But how did you know to make that pivot for the recovery? 
Like, how did yep. you do that? You didn't pay for the advertising. You mm-hmm. did organic, which really means that you've got something probably, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe if you were to give advice to another entrepreneur, what would it be for that pivot to recovery? Like, how did you know to do that, to be in the successful boat now? I think we made purposeful decisions. Like, I think at the start of April, we knew that we wanted to go after the small business market. So let's work our way back from there. We started hosting a monthly event for small business owners. We integrated our platform with Hootsuite that has over 1.2 million small businesses. That was incredible on the PR front to get our name out in the SMB market. And we started putting out very affordable pricing plans, plans that we just knew people would look at and say, $24 a month for the type of data that I could get for $7,000 a month at another company. But did that you know make. that was going to work when you put it out for 24 bucks or was it 100%, still trial? You 100%, 100%. did? Because I would have thought you would say we didn't know and we would trial and error, but you just thought people would pay the 24 we bucks? Knew. We knew they'd pay the 24 bucks. The question is, would they stay, right? And that's still a question we're answering right now, right? Now the question becomes, how do we retain customers and lower churn? And that's a great problem to have, I think. Um, it's a much better problem than, you know, how do we get customers? But at the same time, like, in terms of customer onboarding, customer experience, those questions have become way more important now than before. See, that's really instructive for that's really instructive for a lot of entrepreneurs. And 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 a lot of times I say, well, look, if you're charging 24 bucks, does the person feel like they're getting 240 dollars 10 times? Exactly. And I think that's the key, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it, it doesn't matter if you charge a hundred or a thousand or twenty four hundred. What matters is do they feel like they're getting more than what they're paying? Because that's how we all act, right? Yep. Like, for example, in my life, I pay Google four bucks a month to store more of my Gmail data Mm -hmm. because I believe I'm getting a lot more value than that. So I never look at it, but they take four Mm -hmm. bucks from me and then that's, they make a lot of money on that, right? Yep. Yep. So how, but how, go back to, you were so sure they'd pay the 24 bucks, but are you, are you sure people are going to stay? Yeah. So if you asked me that question a month ago, I'd probably say "Mm, 50 50. Um, Because when you got onto the platform, Initially, when we gave you, you know, that $24 plan, we didn't actually tell you what you could even do with that $24 plan. You'd come onto the platform, you'd see over a billion profiles, and now you're thinking, okay, what happens now? So I think in the last two weeks, using Pendo, for example, building out a knowledge hub, we've built out the proper onboarding guides where when you come on the platform, you're immediately going to see things on how you use the platform, who you ask for help from, the knowledge hub that has videos and articles on every single thing around how to get to a particular use case, how to use the platform, resources for small businesses, right? So I think we've invested a lot of time into building the proper support materials that hopefully will reduce that in the, in the long run. And are you talking to your clients saying, hey, what's the experience? Like, what kind of feedback are you getting? And how so, are you getting that feedback? All core customers, all the $24 a month plans that churn, I am physically responsible to talk to them. And I purposely did that, huh. right? We, we have a team of four people now who are on support. Are you literally staff. calling people or are you just calling or emailing? It could be calling or emailing, right? Most of the time people don't put their phone number. It's actually not mandatory. It will be mandatory in a month from now. Um, but email, right? Emailing back saying, okay, so let's say I'm a, I'm a $24 a month client of yours. Mm-hmm. Like you call me, like how, yep. how are you drilling in? Like, what are you asking me? The first thing right off the bat is what did you expect coming in? Right. Because oh, a, a lot question. of times people people sign up mm, for a $24 plan. What were you expecting when you were paying for that plan? Right. And is there a disconnect there that maybe you wanted something that was part of the $99 plan or something we hadn't even built? At what's, all, what's the most surprising thing that you get when you quiz your clients? How simple their use cases are. Like we try to make it complicated. We try to think, right. oh, we want customers to run influencer marketing campaigns. The $24 a month plan people just want to they want to find who their most valuable followers on social media are. They want to know how many verified people are following them. That's it, right? Hmm. It's way more complicated on our website. But when you drill down to it, it's 
especially for those $24 and $49 plans, it's I just want to find out who's valuable and influential that's following me. So are you still cash positive? Are you still profitable? Still, still profitable, yep. And do you have any ideas, like, should you get cash negative and go faster? Do you ever think about that? Or you just want to, as I tell you, stay frosty, you know, stay, <laughs> you know. stay frosty, stay lean. I mean, the goal here is still testing, right? So we're, we put out a very comprehensive marketing strategy around paid advertising, around content marketing, three articles a week, around events that we're hosting. We're hosting two virtual events a month now. We're going through and, and building out a lot of onboarding guides. So we're testing a lot of things. I think past July 1st, if we see a proper return off the $10,000 marketing test we're doing right now, we'll probably try to double down on that and figure out how to do that in a profitable way. Tell me a little bit more about what do you think, uh, what your advice would be to a young leader or a leader in a business right now, how, how to deal with your people. You've been successful so far in getting your people to all row in the same direction in the boat, and they're all still doing it. You still have the same people. You're actually adding headcount right now. Um, tell us a little bit about your leadership and what you would tell people to do. Like, I, I guess from my perspective, I always felt that as leaders, we try to lead too much and not actually sit there and talk about our vulnerabilities with our staff and actually try to get them to help us. Mm -hmm. And I found it very effective personally to try to um, get them to really get in on it, to understand that we're all people here and we're all trying to find a solution. You sounded like from a previous conversation, you've done that really well. Mm -hmm. But what advice would you be on a leadership level outside of that uh, to struggling entrepreneurs, ones that haven't quite made that pivot and have anxiety and difficulty with their staff and not knowing what which, which ends up right now i think i think two things there one is don't overcomplicate leadership right and and i've mm. never read a leadership book i've i've led just by feedback that i get from people who are being managed by me what they like what they don't like and i do weekly check-ins uh we're probably going to move that to monthly check-ins soon but i mean weekly check-ins are a great way just to chat for 15 minutes with an employee and say how was your week what could i do better by the way what do you like that i'm currently doing that i should keep doing do you right? do that just as a group or do you do that individually individually always individually and now we're actually getting to the point where i don't have to interview every single employee we're kind of like you know onik my co-founder will do the product team scott will do the sales team and i'll do the marketing team which i really like. Before I was doing everyone though, including Onik, including Scott, including the C-suite. I was interviewing them to make sure that even my leadership on the high level is going fine. Um, but I think number two, don't, don't overcomplicate it. A lot of it comes down to just being a nice person during this time. A lot of it comes down to being more empathetic than ever before, over communicating as much on things that you want done because there's no shortage of that. And because of the, you can't really see someone in person, you really need to over communicate exactly what you want done and when you want it by and be very clear on that. And then I think the second thing is trust. And this was something I had a really hard time learning. You know, I used to be a gunslinger, in my opinion, that I just thought anytime I did something, it was magical. And so any important task I would keep for myself because I was like, I need to be the one to do it. But you're hiring people for a very particular reason. Let them do that. Right. Let you, them let them do what they're really good at. Before before COVID, you were traveling all, all over the Canada and U.S., constantly yep. traveling, constantly giving talks. You yep. have a speaker's bureau on you. You're a great speaker. You're in demand. But now you don't leave your place. Like everybody I love, else. I love staying here. Oh, you, I love, you love it. Here. So you like that love transfer. It. Like you would. So let's say COVID was finished tomorrow. Would you try to focus on what you're doing? Would you get back out on a plane? What would you do? I love that you brought that up. I, I wouldn't even leave my house that much, honestly. <laughs> like, I just think there's so much I need to learn in here. Like, I need to learn how to cook first and foremost, which I've been trying to learn recently. Um, but there's also just so much in terms of focus that I've never felt more focused in the last two months in my entire life. Like I've been so productive. And I think the reason why is because 
I can't go for dinners anymore. I can't talk to people and have them. Quite honestly, sometimes you go into conversations and you think they'll be great, but they waste 30 minutes or an hour of your time. And now you're like, I got to go home and got to go to bed, wake up for the next day, et cetera. Right. So I'm definitely not going to be traveling for a while uh, unless it's going home and seeing my mom or, or coming back to Toronto. Um, but I definitely want to stay focused. And part of that just means working at home. And now a message from our sponsor. So what keeps you up at night? <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, I mean, so A, I don't get that much sleep, which is a terrible thing. And I know you- but Why is that? Why, why, like, is that like, because you just are working all the time or do you just lay in bed with your eyes open with anxiety? I, not with anxiety. I lay in bed a lot with just ideas in my head. I have a really hard time mm. falling asleep these days because I have so much. Like, I literally schedule calendar invites at 3 a.m. with my team randomly, right? Just discussions that I'm like, we need to have this discussion tomorrow or day after. Like, we right. can't. Um, or I love working at night, too. Like, my optimal hours for work are 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. I don't know why, but I can write, like, a book, pretty much, I think, within that time. Like, I, my fingers just move quick. Um, so I normally don't get as much sleep as I think I should. But when I do go to sleep and, you know, I think what kind of keeps me up at night, a lot of times it's just what if momentum slows down, right? I think a lot of people say that when you're riding a wave, you want to try to keep it going for as long as possible. But what happens when the wave stops? How do you go back and, and get it back? So, so what advice do you have for other founders that aren't, you know, pivoting as well as you right now? Let's say, because I think true fan and what you've done is actually quite rare. The fact that you're accelerating into a very difficult time, and let's face it, we're in a recession, and it could be a tough one, um, is your, the rarity. What, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs that are still trying to find the pivot? Like, take us, to, take us back to your mindset of what you would be doing to try to find a way out, to try to find the light in the tunnel. I think three things. One is have conviction over what you think the world past COVID will look like. Um, and that will be a different world, right? It will be a world where, in my opinion, every brick and mortar company now will need a digital strategy. Right. They're going to have a digital strategy. Uber Eats, Fedora for restaurants is going to be mainstream. There are going to be incredible amount of options on it, and they're all going to be looking to compete with one another, right? So that makes me excited because it makes me think that now they're going to look for online tools to gain a competitive edge over each other, especially using data. I think number two is look for alternative ways to make money. If what you're currently doing doesn't work, wake up to that realization sooner rather than later, right? Like if it's not working within month one or two, figure out a way to add in or pivot or, or figure out another way to go about making money, right? And that could be a smaller version of your product, a cheaper version of your product and start testing things like that out. And then I think the third thing is to continue to stay lean. Like for us right now, we don't feel like this pandemic is going away anytime soon. Um, I am very pessimistic just based off the people that I know, especially those in the medical industry. And I'm bracing myself up for kind of mid-2021 when we're truly out of the situation. But by the way, the consequences of COVID are going to exist for the next three, four, five years. And I'm bracing up for that as well. How would you sum up what would you tell entrepreneurs right now in the thick of things? What would you tell them? Uh, they need to do to find that, what you just brought up, that product mom fit, that perfect fit between there and their product. You seem to say that you just knew the 24 bucks would work, but let's say you weren't that sure. Like exactly what would you be doing? Like let's say today's the first day of the month and you have your product, things aren't working. Like what would you do? Yeah, I think 
whenever it comes down to whether it's a new plan or a new feature, the first thing is testing, right? It, it's going out to people that genuinely like maybe the older iteration of your product, their currently customers or their potential customers, giving them that feature or running them through that feature for free, um, engaging their feedback and getting honest feedback, right? It's hard to get honest feedback. It's easy to get people saying, I like this, it's okay, might buy this, but getting honest feedback on like right now, debit card, I'll send you over an invoice. Would you pay $49 for this plan? Right. And, and that'll get the conversation moving in terms of, all right, these are things I'd rather have added in. This is the type of language that needs to be on the website to describe the plan and what it truly like, what is truly valuable to me. And, and that actually goes into, by the way, how we created our website. Our new website we launched was entirely based off customer feedback. We asked them, what would you want to see on our website that would make you buy again? And, and we got their use cases. We got the taglines that they really liked on the older website. We kept them. We changed them. We made a website that truly was representative of what customers previously came on for, which I liked. Um, number two, I think, which is really important when getting product market fit is now getting people to pay, right? Like, I, I think the, the kind of threshold that I have is get 100 customers that are willing to pay for your product. That's my definition of product market fit, right? And whether that's $9.99 or $24 a month, if you're able to get 100 customers and keep them on and they're paying you money and actively using your product, that's a great definition. Because if they weren't paying, you could just you should summarize that you're just not right. You're getting feedback, but you're not getting like proper conversion, right? And that's the difference. That's why I tell people whenever they give me feedback, I said, all right, I'm going to send you an invoice right now and you're going to pay me $24. And I'm kidding, obviously, but they don't know that. Um, and that's where the real feedback comes into play. That's where the real feedback. That's in a, that's a really good way to look at it. You know, I've always told people that the deciders aren't me or you or investors, the deciders are the buyers. That's yep. it. You yep. know, the earliest days of, I remember, always remember the story of Amazon, Jeff Bezos would actually have this small little boardroom table and he'd have one chair open. And there was only be six people around his exact table at the time. It was only a very small company. And the people would say, well, why do you leave one chair open? He says, cause that's the customer that's chair. And it was so clever. And you, you wonder why Amazon has done so well. And you boil it down to he puts the customer first because, you know, look at your experience on Amazon. And and I wonder how many people think that when they don't make a correct pivot, it's, you know, it's the customer's fault or no one understands them. But the truth is that customers just want what they want. And you just have to figure out how to make their life better. And they're the decider. Yep. And that was a major switch for us. I think the initial iteration of TrueFan, we were trying to impose the product onto a customer. We were trying to tell them why they needed it, right? And if you're in a conversation and you're having to explain why a customer needs your product, likely not going to end up really well, right? I think the, the better conversation to have is what do they need and then work backwards, right? And if you start to see over time, by the way, in two and a half years is a long period of time. It's definitely not as long as 10, 15, 20 years, right. but over time you will gauge common threads of what people need. And you're going to boil it down to a very simple term and start to build around it. And that's what so we Tell us doing. about your mom because yep. she seems to be a pretty close person in your life. Is she your unofficial official main advisor? Mainly me. Uh, you know, I think when I put advisors in, official ones, I would say you 100% kind of lead the pack there. And then unofficial, I would say my brother and my mom. <laughs> so if I were to call your mom yep. and ask her what, what worries her most about what you do? What would she say? Oh, uh, how much I, man, how much I don't sleep properly, have terrible eating habits. I don't work out enough, wear a hat way too much. Um, 
wear a hat too much what does she think you'll go bald if you do yeah no she's just like you look so great without a hat why do you keep wearing a hat i'm just like mom sometimes i don't want to wake up especially now where i need a haircut like i don't want to set my hair up sounds like your mom (laughs) is being a mom she is being a mom but she's also being a mom that like is right and it it bothers me you know like when your mom criticizes you and you're like i want to fight back but i can't it's really tough but did she just give you life advice or did she give you business advice weirdly enough previously she used to give me business advice in the sense of how to you know keep your morals high how to do business with the right people how to be a good person Mm -hmm. um and now actually it's flipped in the sense of i'm actually helping her create an online website because previously she taught immigrants and refugees how to speak english now she wants to do that online right so i'm kind of giving her business advice pretty cool is she going to become a client of true fan I hope. I hope. She literally said, I will buy the $59 plan. I'm like, yes, mom. <laughs> <laughs> when your mom buys your product, it's you're over. winning. You're, no, you're winning. winning. It's over. Pro- you can just go home. Product mom fit. That's it. That's product what mom. go after. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So do you, do you call your mom every day? Every day. Every day. And she wouldn't let me not call her every day. <laughs> Is it video? It's video now, though. It's not video as much. I, I think it's audio and we're fine with that. Video is only if it's a really special occasion or I shaved my beard. Then then it's video. Because yeah. you're well shaven right now. You're, I am. I am. You're I, clean. I, you're clean. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so your mom's your main advisor. So you know what? I'm going to give your mom a call. Oh, no. Please, no. <laughs> yeah. She's one of your main advisors. I want to get her on the phone and I want to ask her all about you. No one's gotten on her, gotten her on the phone yet, but if you're able to do it, that would be incredible. Ah, uh, we have our ways. Hello. Hi, Miss Goswami, are you there? Oh, I'm there. You can call me Priya. Hi, Priya. How are you? I'm doing very well. So we're all curious to know, what was Swish like as a kid? Like, take me back to six or eight years old. What is he like? Is he like a wheeling and dealing? Is he an entrepreneur? I think he was a very normal kid. He was slightly in contrast with his older brother, who was generally very quiet. Swish was very friendly. He had a lot of people that he would mingle with very easily. And uh, But I think from the beginning, he was never interested in academics at all. He uh, He kind of did his own thing? He kind of liked to do, he, he kind of liked to experiment a lot with a number of things at one time. You know, what did, he, he, he let us know that you're one of his key advisors. And on this journey of discovering his success and his pivoting and what he's been doing in, in the crisis, you've come up as one of his key advisors. And so, you know, if, if you could just kind of generalize it, what, what some, what's some of the key advice you've given him certainly over the past three months? See, honestly, it's very sweet of him to say that, but I don't think it's the advice. I think I am his most honest critic. So so when you go back and think about Swish and you think about all his achievements and what he does, like if you could kind of nail one thing that kind of keeps you up at night, what do you worry about as a mom for this successful young entrepreneur? He's, you know, forging his own path. Well, what kind of worries you the most? To be very honest with you, first of all, it has not come easy for him as most people think. He was never, ever a very brilliant child when he was growing up. And he worked his way to reach wherever he has reached today. So I worry because a number of people are under the impression that he is so young and he has achieved so much. What people do not see is how the journey was and what were the difficulties that he encountered throughout his journey. He has a very accomplished older brother. So there were always challenges that he should never live under the shadow of his brother. 
Then he had his own personal issues, you know. So I do worry when I see people thinking that probably he got it easy and he has achieved a lot in this tender age. So that's a big concern for me because usually the thought is as you grow older, you get all that success. That's super interesting because he is a very driven young man. And, you know, it's, it's, I have a saying in business, which is the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I, I think that's true of Swish, right? Yeah, I think so too. He really worked very hard. He was, and you're right. He was very driven. He was always driven. Well, you must be very proud of uh, your sons. You've obviously done uh, some fantastic things as a mother. Do you do you have advice to other moms because you've had two very accomplished children? When you step back and you think about how you kind of taught them over the years, what what is the kind of one piece of advice you'd give about uh, raising a successful, driven young man? You know, Michael, honestly, a couple of things that come to my mind. First of all, I had my older one at a very young age of 24 enjoy the prime age which was called the golden age of your youth you know so but I am not a person who lives in any kind of regret and I'm like you know what what I couldn't get I would like to see my boys get it Hmm. for me in order to do that and people often say that you know what I just want to be there for my children in my case it was never that I wanted the other way around I wanted my children to be there for me where do you think the drive came from, this insatiable appetite to succeed? Because it takes a lot to do what he's doing. It's, it's, you have to be very clear-headed. And I was very clear-headed about the difference between existing and living. I do not believe in existence. I always believe that you need to live. And in order to live, there needs to be a purpose. And Swish always had that purpose because he was always experimenting with new things. And I, all I could do was just offer him the support that, hey, you know what, go ahead and do it. And I'm there. We are there for you as a family. So I think parents need to understand that you get one life and let them just experiment. Let them just go out, explore the horizon. Just let them venture into the world. Did you feel that in that letting him fail was a good concept as well? Getting out there and trying out and failing for himself? For me, the meaning of fail itself is different. The word fail actually means first attempt in learning. It's F-A-I-L. You know, you must have heard this, Michael. We do not fail because we try. We fail when we stop trying. That makes so much sense. So wise. It makes so much sense what you're saying. It uh, it certainly has come out in the way that he uh, runs his operation. He's a very driven young man. And, uh, yeah. you know, I told people uh, for a long time, I can't teach or I can't compel uh, motivation. It just has to come from within. Yeah, that's true. That's what they say in teaching. You take a horse to the water, but you can't force him to drink it. <laughs> That's so true. Well, listen, any any parting other parting advice you'd have for us uh, around entrepreneurship and uh, your 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 sons and maybe Swish in particular? I, I would just say allow your child, just let them do it and just make sure that your child knows that my parents, my family, my siblings, they are there with me. If I make a mistake, there is nothing wrong with that. At least you tried. Yeah, that, that, exactly. I, I, I tell young people, go out there and fail. It, just go crash the bus. It's just fine. You're, you're young enough to have like five more, 10 more turns, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I still remember the time when he wanted to take the gap year. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for us, education means a lot. 
and he wanted to take the gap year. And uh, honestly, we did not want him to give up his studies. But uh, the older one said that, mom, when you look at his resume, people are not going to see how many marks he got in one subject. They're actually going to look at the experience that he has gained all these years which made a lot of sense to me. So I did feel that as a parent, you need to accept that you do not know it all. You need to listen to your children. They can be wiser than you are. Listen, I, I, I really appreciate taking the time to chat with us. And uh, it's really obvious where he gets his drive from and his smarts. And uh, I just really appreciate taking the time. Thank you. really appreciate you taking the time and connecting. It was really lovely talking with you. <laughs> So Swish, you know what? We had a very nice conversation with your mom. I always think I wouldn't be the man who I am if my mother wasn't that archetype. Do you ever figure that? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I only over time learned that. Like I, I feel like my initial drive actually came from all the things my mom told me not to do. So anytime she told me not to do something or to like follow a certain path, I'd rebel and try to go against it. And my drive came very much from that. But there's no way I'd be doing what I was doing right now if it wasn't for my mom letting me do it, encouraging me to do it, connecting me to people, always really looking out for me and just having my back. Like, and letting you fail. And letting me fail, 100%. And like, she always uses the acronym of FAIL, being like first attempt and learning. And she's told us that since we were 10 years that old. That might have come up. Oh, that did? Yeah. So she loves that acronym. She loves it. And she tells all her students whenever she's teaching that as well, which it just makes sense to me. Because um, that's exactly what you tell us as well, right? You know, just go out and fail. So let, let's kind of end it off on this. Let's talk about personal resiliency for a second, because you and I talk a lot about, you know, gaining customers and expanding and market and raising capital. But let's be honest, being a CEO and being a founder is a very dark and lonely tunnel. It can be very, very hard. I found being a CEO for many years very lonely. Mm -hmm. I found it very difficult. I found it painful. I found it was it worth it? Well, yeah, I think so. But I mean, it's a very tough, long path. And emotionally, you have to really get ready. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what that journey and resiliency is like for you. Because, I mean, you're so well put together. You're so smart. I mean, you know what you're doing. You're commanding the ship really well. But, you know, once you turn off all the lights and cameras, what's your life like? And what's your life like personally? And what do you think about personally? Because you can't just think about money and true fit all day like how do you exist as a human being yeah i think you know a i'd look very well put together i think but i'm definitely not i think when the lights are off there are a lot of things that i'm trying to personally strive for that i'm not close to, to achieving um you know whether it's making sure that my mom's divorce trial for example goes well and she comes out of it happier than ever right whether it's me personally being able to fulfill some of my bucket list goals that are beyond business whether it's traveling having a girlfriend for more than three months so that it doesn't end because of, you know, my if, I interviewed, if I interviewed the past two girlfriends you've had, what would they oh, tell God. me about you? They would say I'm a nice person. And I might sure. just do that, by the way. Yeah. So oh, God. Just... No, no, no. I'm never letting them talk to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they would say what? They would say I'm a nice person, I think. But I think they'd probably say, like, you know, definitely couldn't spend that much time. Um, seemed not really focused on the relationship as much as on business or other things. But is that um, true? Did Were you just not it's into not, them? Or it's not. Were, it's not. It's because not, if you were really into this girl, would you have actually prioritized her more? Is that just a cop-out? Like, I'm busy at work? It's a cop-out, but also it's true, right? Because, like, here's the thing. I genuinely appreciated them, and I genuinely wanted to be with them, but your words only go so far, 
right? My actions didn't map to that directly. Like when it came to postponing things, when it came to not remembering the smallest things like your one month anniversary or birthday. Is that a thing? One month anniversary? It is. It is apparently, you know, and and thank you. I'm in the same boat there too. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) I thought it was one year anniversary. What happened to one one month? Jeez. I'm actually preparing for my next one. I'm going to celebrate the one week anniversary, the one month anniversary. It's going to be over. But, um, I think my actions didn't map to it properly, right? So that is something that I need to work on. And and it's why also for me, like... Do you, do you care about having a relationship right now? Or are you just so hell-bent on building this company, you could just do without the relationship? My thoughts on that are very similar to me when it came to college, right? I dropped out after second year, and I always felt I'm going to miss out on a college experience. And it worked out. It worked out. I think I had a great time, you know, traveling around, building true fan. I've still gone back and been very close with my college friends that are here in Toronto. They're still some of my best friends, but... I'm also scared that maybe I'll get to 28, 29 and kept postponing having a girlfriend that a lot of what you need to go into a serious commitment, I won't be ready for. Um, so that's something too. Like I, I feel like I need a bit more practice when it comes to this whole commit your life to someone um, because past my mom and past my brother, I, I just haven't been able to do that to a very high degree with anyone. So Swish, I tell people don't work on your weaknesses, hire your weaknesses and only work on your strengths. Like, what do you think of that? Do you think that you know, do you get up every day and think I've got to work, make my weaknesses better? Or do you just try to double down on what you do good? I think it's a mix. I, I think for sure personal improvement is something that's important for me. But personal improvement is not really focused around business because I have the luxury of hiring people for that. Right now, right, on my personal right. side, when it comes to my personal weaknesses, I, I don't have the ability to hire a driver. I do, not, <laughs> I do, I do need to uh, you know, learn <laughs> driving. And that is going to be... So, you don't have your driver's license? I, I, I have my written license, which I apparently, I failed three times, by the way, but um, the written wow. test. Wow. I, I know, right? You wouldn't think, but I uh, I haven't taken my full road test yet. No. Do you even need a car these days if you live in a no, city? That's I what don't I'm, know how. I tell, I tell my mom I'm looking to be driven physically and mentally, and she laughs. But Listen, when I was 16, <laughs> getting a car was like everything. Mm. Everything, right? Now, car, you know, my nephews and nieces look at me like I'm crazy. Like, we yeah. would need one of those things. That's a, And now I think the same thing. I don't actually drive my cars. I, that's why I live in, <laughs> in the city. I love walking. I love the TTC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Swish, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and have this very candid conversation with me. I've actually really enjoyed it. It's nice talking about how we got back together. <laughs> Same here. Good therapy. <laughs> there you go. It's a relationship that's worked. Well, listen, I, I've, I've listened to everything you said, and I've known you for some time. And I guess the truth is, is that I've had a lot of insight on your business. And this is how I think about you and your business. First off, I think you're an exceedingly bright young man who, you know, it's going to be actually, take this the right way, but it's going to be hard for you not to do well by the way you're going. Uh, you're going to do great in business. Um, you're resilient. You're smart. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised how you uh, pivoted this business in a time of crisis and got uh, real revenue through the door. Um, Every week you're showing me an amazing numbers. You're pivoting your business. You're moving. You're listening to your clients. And you're right. What I would tell you is that what was supposed to take uh, seven to 10 years of digitization on this planet is happening in 12 months because it has to. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. In the next couple of years, a lot of the things we're doing now on 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 through video and the way we're communicating is probably going to stay this way. We're going to every month that goes by that we do this, we're going to get used to it. My advice to you is this: actually double and triple down what you're doing. 
I do think, though, that you might want to accelerate your marketing. I do think that you might want to take on more clients. I also think you should explore raising your price points and seeing how far you can push that and also taking on larger and bigger clients and what you're doing. You're really getting into something big. As digitization occurs and retail is changing upside down for every brand, I think you could be a, a tremendous asset to that business. Um, I think that if I step back and look at your business, I think if we speak to you, and we probably will in a year or two from now, you're going to be much bigger and much better, and you're going to have more investors, and I think you're going to pivot your business and grow. I think you're that useful uh, in, in, in figuring out exactly where you need to go. But here's a different piece of advice for you. Um, I'm going to give you the advice my dad gave me back in my 20s, and he said, Mike, live a little and that's a strange thing to say, but I was so bent and driven to be successful in business is that I pushed everything to the side. And, you know, why my friends were having, you know, babies and all that kind of stuff in their 20s, and that's not for everybody and what have you and families. I always thought I never had time for that. I always thought that uh, uh, that I could leave all those things aside, that I didn't have to work on those things, and that my job was to go king of the castle and build as much wealth and as much business as I could. And what happened to me was that I got up to the kind of top of a few of those hills, and I kind of looked around and I felt it's a little bit empty because I forgot to work on my life. I forgot to live a little. I forgot to have more of a personal life. I forgot to make as deep and meaningful relationships that I probably should have made. So I think you're going to be tremendously successful in business. I think it's obvious. But I think you should live a little. And I think you should step back and think about your priorities and and, and a life you're going to have. At the end of the day, none of us bring our wealth with us. You know, whether you like it or not, you give away all your wealth in your life, whether you want to or not. And I think that um, you're the type of personality that is always going to do well. Uh, but I think you might be most fulfilled in life by actually figuring out the balance between your success in business and that personal life. And believe me, I'm not a great coach to tell you that. I just relaying one experience from one guy to the next. So my advice to you is keep doing what you're doing, double down what you're doing, but live a little. And I think you're going to find that uh, pretty satisfying over the years. Great. Thank you. I wrote that all down, by the way. <laughs> I, I, I legitimately did. <laughs> so, look, thanks a lot for being part of this episode. Really appreciate you being really open and candid with us. It was, it was a really great conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Michael. And appreciate the advice at the end. That was great. Thanks for listening to Business Unplanned, a small business podcast series from BMO. Join us next time. We'll be discussing making business adjustments with Randy Otse of Rosé Management. You don't want to miss it, so subscribe now. And for other resources, stop by our small business hub at bmo.com forward slash small business resource hub.